I'm here today with Bob Rapp. He's the principal AI architect at Envorsa. They're helping businesses digitally transform. And we were just talking about when Microsoft reached out and they started to care about what you were working on. Yeah, sure, Chad. It's good to be here. And what we discovered in about 1999 is that customers were very unhappy with some of our products. So the leadership team said, hey, it would be cool if we had people who cared from a data science point of view what was going on. So we established something called the Customer and Partner Experience Team. And I and a couple of other folks were the first people in the world that were on that team. And we wanted to find out why our products were getting so many haters. Specifically, I was in the mobile space and we had Windows Phone and Pocket PC Phone. And some of those devices were getting north of 80% return rate. So eight out of 10 people at the bottom brought them back. That was really embarrassing. So it was an interesting way to, to kind of pivot my career from consulting and field-based work to really understanding what customers wanted, why we were failing, and how to, how to put data and statistics around that. So we eventually returned, we changed that from an 80%, 86% return rate to about 20%, which was the industry average. And I learned a lot in that journey. So what did the data show you that you made that shift? Well, it actually showed us five things that turned into a business card in a contest. It's something that we did with our partners and with our developers, about 5,000 people. I was working for a great guy named Peter Canuck. And so each month at the, at the team meeting, we'd have thousands of people in a room and we'd say, here's the five things that a customer wants to do with the phone. They want to make a phone call, weirdly. They like it not to reboot. They like it to have decent battery life. They'd actually like to get email on the phone and they'd actually like to keep their their calendar, which are the things that our specific customers in the business space wanted. And they couldn't do any of those things, right? So there were what we said in the first 10 minutes and the first 10 days, we took excellent work from Donna Flynn and Henry Chen and some other great customer experience folks and, and turned that data into actionable things that everybody on the team could go work on. So that was, we, we, we took statistics and data and turned it into practical changes for the engineering team. So. so this really opened your eyes to the value of data science. It did. And not too long after that, under the tutelage of Donna Flynn and Henry Chen and some other really gifted industry folks and Horace Luke, I actually went to Vodafone in with Peter Canuck and we, we built the very first Android phones with Samsung. So we, it was the first year really that people were commercializing Android. We built three new devices. We built an entire new software experience. And we did that all based on science. So what, what did customers want, what they want to pay for? They weren't getting that from Vodafone at the time. It was really viewed as a business company. And we really pivoted them to a consumer brand in the smartphone space. Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing the natural transition to machine learning and, and the current days of AI. Yeah, that's right. Well, we put on a contest. I'm a big fan of contests. I, I love to have smarter people than me solve problems that are harder than I know how to solve. So we said for 100,000 pounds, you have 30 days to take anonymous data records, about 800 million call records at Vodafone, and tell us something about our customers, about the relationship. We had a theory that, Chad, if you and I were at a coffee shop and I got a new phone, and I told you about that new phone. Our theory is if I was an influencer, you would go buy a new phone. That was our theory. We didn't really know how to test it because we didn't really know very much about data science or social media at that time. 
And we put that out into the industry and we said, it's, it's not an RFP and RFI, it's just a hackathon. So in 30 days, tell us what you're going to do. And a really cool company out of Israel won the right to teach us stuff. And they built what we would call the customer affinity model. It's the first one that Vodafone had really understood, which was who are the most important referrers in each micro community in a town. So doctors, lawyers, by the way, plumbers, very important. Turns out they talk to lots of people and they're influential educators and doctors and other things. So we we did a bunch of very agile, fast work. And we started building devices that those social influencers really wanted to recommend to their friends and family and their circle. So, yeah. And from from there, I've spent the last sort of 15, 20 years learning more about how to make things gooder for the customer. You got good, gooder, and goodest. And usually it's not very good. When you think of the word influencer, you don't typically go to plumbers. And it's interesting that that's what the data shows. The data shows that the most common people that people talk to to get advice are surprising. So every group of real estate agents, there is a real estate agent in your town that is very influential with other real estate agents. We we didn't really know that. We knew about social media circles of influence, but we kind of made assumptions that it was the people you'd heard of, the bloggers, the the kind of the famous people. The most influential people in your circle are your friends that you trust, who I would say are the delegate for a piece of advice. So when I have a question about something to do around the house, I talk to Alan, my brother-in-law, because he knows everything about construction. And I know less than nothing. I mean, I could do really dangerous things. So he's my North Star for construction, but I don't ask him about computer stuff. He asks me about computer stuff. So the interesting thing about data science is what I call the next best decision, the next best step for you is very specific to you only. So we make assumptions about groups of people. People don't act as groups mostly. You bought a phone. The next likely thing for you to buy might be a case, but maybe for you it's insurance. And so data science and really machine learning more than AI and large language models, which we could spend a lot of time on. But is about how we make Chad's life better based on what Chad did last time. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, you're going to do the same thing, but you probably will do similar things, right? Is that kind of the goal with the large language models is to do those predictions? Yeah, so large language models are, and it's funny because a lot of people think of it as somewhere between black magic and, and AI is going to take over the world. AI is not very smart, but it's really good at making you think that it's smart. So Don't let AI know, hear that. Yeah, that's right. Well, if you think about large language <laughs> models, and I, I just did a presentation with some folks in who, some CMOs over London. A large language model simply says this, I'm going to predict what the next word should be. That's it. So if I say, my name is, chances are pretty good. I would say Bob and you would say Chad. Neither of us would say ice cream, right? I mean, if your name is ice cream, that's kind of cool, but pretty rare. That's it. Large language model just predicts the next word or the next pattern of words. But if you start thinking about that and you and you have a trillion variables, if you've looked at every or, or much of the public Internet, when you say, write me a presentation about chocolate, it's probably going to be pretty good at writing a presentation about chocolate because it's read a bunch of them. What you don't find with large language models is insight or delight 
it's kind of mundane. It's kind of a first drafty kind of thing. It's amazing, but it's almost like a stupid human trick because if you take that content and say, I'm going to now make that the content that drives my business, you're going to be driving a pretty me too kind of business. That spark and insight is missing by design. So, so is the next stage in the evolution to where it doesn't, it's not just a first draft? Well, I hope so. I think that technology can save the world. I think there are, there are amazing things that it does every day. My wife just broke her ankle and I'm a caregiver today, but I'm able to do my job entirely in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Washington in a little farm town because of technology. So the same job that I did in London or in Bangkok or wherever I have lived in the world, I can do in this little town surrounded by delightful cows and mountains and streams and rivers. I couldn't have done that even 10 years ago. And this conversation that we're having right now probably would not have occurred 10 years ago in the same way. It might have been in the studio and it could have cost a bunch of money. And so, but remember that humans provide feedback to large language models. So if you tell an LLM that two plus two is 11 enough times, it will believe that two plus two is 11. This is the interesting piece and the problem of large language models because you have things like racism and sexism and other biases that occur in real life start to occur in a large language model when it doesn't get the right training. So you, if you go back in the history of LLMs, I worked on Watson at IBM. One of our problems with Watson is Watson was very good at, say, helping diagnose certain kinds of cancers if it had been trained by a cancer doctor, an oncologist. But if, you, if we trained it wrong, we would get the wrong answer. So you've got to be very thoughtful about, I, I think of, of AI as a partner in my life. It kind of makes my first drafts easier, but it also raises the bar for quality. So it means I've got to be better at what I do or seek out smarter, better people than me to help inform my, my point of view and my work product. So, yeah. What are some of your favorite current tools that you're using? Well, I love beautiful.ai. Beautiful has been there for a while. My team has told me over the years, as I got more and more senior, I was writing more and more slide decks. And once you're a vice president, it turns out you write a lot of slide decks. And that makes me very sad because my slide decks are really ugly. And my team has told me over the years, Bob, we think you're good at many things. Please stop with the text box 255 PowerPoints. They're just terrifying. 66 pages of text is not beautiful. And so they gave me as a birthday gift a subscription to beautiful.ai because they said there is, it's a lot harder to make your terrible slide decks, Bob. Like, oh, that's so mean and so true. By the way, self-awareness, humility, beginning to learning every day. They do beautiful work at beautiful.ai. I've had a subscription for, I think, three or four years now. I like just native GPT, just open AI. I just use the API because I'm a developer and I think that's fun. I actually did a YouTube if you want to go seek it out. I've got a channel with like 30 followers. I don't even think my wife is following me. It's just kind of my scratch pad, Chad. But I did a little video for my local Rotary Club, which is a combination of folks in agriculture and folks at the university. It's kind of an interesting little town. And so I, I said, what's, what's kind of cool? There's some really cool tools for building websites. Those are, by the way, very much iterative from the things that like GoDaddy has been doing for a long time. I'm not, as, I'm not as good at the 
the tools for for creating art, stable diffusion, and all the other stuff. But it's kind of good. It's kind of I'm I'm not a very good artist, so also my first drafts aren't very good. But if you think about things like write me a first draft on a presentation, I love OpenAI's just native site GPT-4. I tend to prefer. I love the fact they support plugins. So one of my favorite plugins, I think it's called Vizsla, but it basically creates a video out of your content automatically. Sometimes a little bit of a creepy video, definitely get the premium service because the base service is often quite odd. And that, by the way, is a friend of mine, a smarter friend of mine from Microsoft, Dave's World, Dave Plummer says, you know, GPT is kind of like an, a little bit of an insane eight-year-old. It knows everything, but it doesn't really understand anything. So be careful with tools, right? And I really like Bard from Google. They really stepped up their game. And Bard, if, especially if you're generating code, Bard or Copilot from GitHub is fascinating. So I, I use Copilot to generate test cases all the time that I probably would be too lazy to generate, right? Or I wouldn't I wouldn't do as good a job. Maybe I would do it, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be complete. The big one is find some folks who are out there on YouTube who seem sensible and don't yell very much. And there's a, there's a few really good folks that sort of every week say, here's the summary of what I've learned this week. I love learning from other people. I like what you're doing here. So I listen to other people try to get smarter. I'm energetic, but I don't know everything I need to know every day. And so when I have a new project for a customer, first thing I do is say, who can I learn from? And so I, I'm always a little cautious by people say, you're going to make a million dollars with whatever GPT chat or Amway or whatever. But people that are learning, I love learning together. I like code snippets. I like little short videos. Long videos are very long. Short videos, useful. So, and yeah, actually I'll, I'll put a link in or I'll send you a link if you want to the explainer video. Because what I tried to say is if you're doing normal content creation in 12 minutes, what are the 12 tools that I can explain to you that I think are really useful that I use on a daily basis? Yeah. So. Oh, if that's, yeah, that's useful. Yeah. So what's the current stuff in Vorso you're working on? Well, in Vorso is, is funny because it's hard, Chad, to find your tribe. I've done a bunch of cool things with a bunch of cool people. And I was sort of, was kind of done with the cloud stuff. I mean, I've done a bunch of really cool things for with Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. I led a team at VMware and at IBM, and I'm, I kind of was deep into cloud. And I got a reach out from a a longtime friend, Todd Warren, who's just a wonderful human who led embedded development at Microsoft for a long time. And he said, hey, would you come talk to this auto company about customer experience and quality and data science and other stuff? And I said, well, I will, but like, I don't really know anything that's useful about auto companies. And he said, well, they want to know about stuff you know about. I said, okay, that's cool. And so Enforcer is this cool company that Adrian Balfour and Scott Tobin put together that is smart people from software, all the people that sort of know all the current trends in software and all those things that we talked about, and smart people in automotive. And those are very different, you know, skill sets. So it's a company that together says to to modern auto manufacturers, mostly the big, sort of the big 10, hey, as you try to transform into an EV software-based, software-defined vehicle, how do you do that while still keeping the amazing brilliance that you have for building, like in the case of Ford, they build an F-150 pickup in, what, 60 seconds. I mean, Ford and GM and all, all of the auto companies are amazing at putting things together in a brilliant way. But software is different. It's really hard. So I work with 
one of the founders of Xbox, Jeff Henshaw, Todd Warren, all these amazing people. And I'm, I wake up every day and just go, I can't believe I get to do this for a job because we take software, which, by the way, is really fun, but often kind of a solo or a small team thing. And then we get to go work with auto companies that have 100,000 or 200,000 people that are out there building physical things. And you look at their trucks and, and their vehicles and stuff, you go, they're amazing. And then we get to make them even more amazing. So I call it from good, gooder to goodest. I think we're at the gooder right now. But it just makes me really delighted to be with such a nice bunch of people that are making your experience. When you get in your vehicle and you have a tremendously cool experience, we might have something to do with that because we really care about the user and that experience. And obviously safety and all the other things that everybody cares about. But you can have safe experiences that aren't very exciting. And we want them to be extraordinary. So. Yeah. yeah, it means a lot. I know when I first got my, my Tesla and I, I walked into that car, I'm like, this is a full on experience. This is not a car anymore. I'm, I'm, I love this thing. And yeah. to say that you love a product, it means a lot. You're using it every day. That's right. Well, and, and I have a, so I've had a chance to drive probably 25 or 30 different EVs from manufacturers across the world. I have, I personally own a 2022 Model 3 extended range, right? And I also had a Model S, an older one, which is also very cool. I'll tell you my favorite vehicle to drive is the F-150 Lightning. And it's funny because I am, I don't know if you could tell Chad, but I am the farthest thing from a pickup guy. Like if I, if I did, if I lived in the city, I'd just be an Uber guy. But I drove the F-150 down from California from the research center up to Seattle with, we had a caravan of software nerds. It was kind of cool. And a couple other smart auto people. And the F-150 Lightning is just this exceptional experience. So first of all, F-150s are really comfortable to ride and drive in. They're like a luxury vehicle. I didn't know that. But the other one is the whole way that Ford is thinking about electric and that experience is it's everything you expect in an F-150. It also just happens to be have a battery. So the fact that I can fill up my F-150 for 10 bucks at home, charging it overnight, and my my friends down the street are filling up their F-150 for 150 or 200 bucks with gas or diesel. And we don't talk about it. We don't talk about electric. We just go, how much how much does it cost to fill up your vehicle? Holy crap! Maybe I should think about an EV. So it's fun to see all of the intelligence of Ford put against this problem of how to be really useful in places where I live. So I, I live in the middle of nowhere in Washington state and the middle of nowhere in Portugal. And we don't have urban problems. We have rural problems. How do you get charging when you're out on a farm and you're used to pick up and that sort of thing. But it's so exciting. I mean, we're reforming how we do transportation and we get to be part of it. Holy, holy go- gosh, golly. That's pretty awesome. So. Holy gosh, yeah, golly. I don't know if that's a word. Well, it's your phrase now. That's so, awesome. Bob, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or your company, how could they do so? Well, thanks, Jed. It's just www.invorso.com. My name is Bob Rapp, B-O-B dot R-A-P-P, P as in Peter, at invorso.com. We have a team that's global. So if you just send mail to me and you have want to get together, I can promise that smart, smarter, nicer, more brilliant people than me will have a chat with you and see if we can help. And if we if we can, we'll let you know. More importantly, if we can't, we'll let you know. Most consulting companies I interact with think they can do everything well. 
we're pretty sure we can only do a few things really well, Chad. So we try to try to only do the things we're amazing at, and that's good. Well, thank you, Bob, for coming on the show, and thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, with Cosmic Web Design and Development, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.